Before we get going, this is the word of God. I do want to open us up in prayer. So, Father God, thank you so much for the time that we can be in the word together. Thank you so much for community. Thank you so much for your word that is relevant. It was relevant then, it is relevant now. God, we ask that your instruction is clear. We ask that your message to us is clear so that there is no misunderstanding of what you call and require of us. So tonight, God, I just ask that these words and the message that you have for us be written in our hearts and we pray all of this in your name, amen. Hi friends, so good to see your not quite smiling faces because of the mask, but I can imagine, I remember, I definitely remember my mom brain hasn't mushed my brain too much, but it really is good to see you all and to walk through the word of God together. So tonight we're going to be fully diving into the very beginning of the book of Jude. Last week, Karen gave us a great introduction about who Jude was and why or to whom he was reading the letter. We're not too sure who he was reading, uh, writing it to, but we know that it was to Christians. So for all intents and purposes, as we make our way through the letter of Jude, we're going to apply this letter to us as written. So first and foremost, it opens with a greeting. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in the but beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So from the very beginning of the letter, there's three things that we know right away. The first is that this particular greeting has an introduction of who's writing it. Second, we hear of whom the recipients are. And third, it ends in a blessing. Now, this is very typical of the Greco-Roman letters that would have been written at this time. So the audience would have fully understood the structure of the name of the sender, the description of the recipient, and then a prayer, a blessing, or a thanksgiving at the end. Right away from the very beginning, Jude lets us know that first and foremost, above all else, he is a servant of Jesus Christ. That means that Jesus Christ is his Lord. Jesus Christ is his master. Jesus Christ is his owner. He wakes up. He lives. He breathes. He goes where Jesus Christ tells him to go. He says what Jesus Christ tells him to say. That is what defines who and what he is. And that gives him standing with his audience at this time. Second, almost as a bit of a side note, he goes, oh, and also I'm the brother of James. You know, that guy you may or may not have heard of. Of course, they've heard of him. You'd think that would be what gives him credibility, but more so is the fact that he's the servant of Christ. The audience at the time would have identified him with other servants of Christ. So that would be Abraham, that would be Moses, that would be Joshua, that would be David, that would be Peter, that would be Paul. All men and women who were used by God to do great things. So they hear that Jude is a servant of God and immediately they're thinking all of those other servants of God. To those who are called, beloved in the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, as I said to you earlier, for all intents and purposes, we are the ones that are called. We are the beloved in God, the Father, and we are the ones that are being kept to Christ. This letter is to us. So this is how Jude views his recipients. They're called, they're beloved, and they're kept. But Jude views his recipients or his audience the very same way 
that God views them. He's following the direct instruction of love thy neighbor as thyself. He is being the most Christ-like influencer he can be in this particular moment, loving his people how God would love his people. So, y'all, my mother. My mother is was the most ultimate Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, a true contender of the faith. And growing up, she would call me the most ridiculous pet names. She would say, sweetie pie. She would say, my chocolate baby. She would say, my sweetie pie, chocolate love. She'd tell me I have icing sugar eyes because they're so white. And she would tell me that she loved my thick hair. And growing up, this was great to hear, right? Tons of affirmation in the home. And I thought it was just because my mom loved me. But what it was is that I was about to enter into a world where they would have me think something completely different about myself. The enemy would have me believe that I am nothing and I am unworthy. He would have me believe that my value is in my appearance and that my body is just a vessel. The enemy would have me believe that I'm forgotten or that I am undeserving, that my life doesn't matter. What actually, what I can truly value as a parent now is that what my mother was doing is she knew that she was going to be the first mirror that I would see myself in. So I think of Noah Kate, and she believes about herself what I tell her. And that is exactly what is happening here. So in the case of Noah Kate, I tell her every day that she is cherished. I tell her that she is loved. I tell her that she is valued. I tell her that she is enough. I tell her that she is worthy. She is smart. She is loved. She is loved. She is loved. Because that is what I want her to lead with when she enters into the world. First and foremost, Jude is reminding his audience of their identity in Christ. He's saying to his audience, you are who God says that you are. You are called, you are beloved, and you are kept. Being called was a bit of a subject of contention in my group tonight. What does it mean? What is the pressure? Why am I called and why is no one else called? What does being called even mean? So I decided to look it up. And to be called in this context is a summons. It's authoritatively or urgently to be called upon. So we hear the word called a few times in the Bible. Romans 8, 28 to 30, it says we are called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9 says that God is faithful by him you are called. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14 says to this he called you through our gospel. And 2 Timothy 1.8-9 says, be all more diligent to confirm your calling. This is not just a call to know about him. This is not a Facebook friend request. This is not someone trying to follow you on LinkedIn or Instagram or someone who's sending you Snapchats. This is a call that inevitably leads to faith in him. It's a relationship with him. It's an intimate understanding of who he is, why he is, and therefore why you are. If you're trying to get to know yourself, you should get to know God. Because in knowing God and understanding who he is, you get a very clear image and description 
of who you are. And it is the most accurate description of who you are. It is not what the world says that you are. It is what the creator of the universe says that you are. They were called. Jude knew that his audience was about to receive some bad news. And he needed to let them know that you are above what is happening because you are people of God. You have been called to a higher standard of how you treat others and you love others and you forgive others and you show grace to others and you show mercy to others because God showed the same to you. We are called. Then he goes on to say that they are beloved in God the Father. So from the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the God that has his affection set on us, the creator of absolutely everything, even though we are undeserving. So we read a little bit in the New Testament about what it says who we are at the very nature of our being. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, sins, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. By nature, children of wrath. It's who we are. But God. Romans 3, 10 through 23 goes on. It says, none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God or have turned aside. They are worthless. No one does good, not one. They use their tongues to deceive. They have venomous lips. Curses and bitterness, swift to shed blood, ruin and misery in their wake. But God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Called, beloved, kept for Jesus Christ. We heard that there would be a lot of repetition last week, and you read how many times the word kept appeared. So First Peter, oh wait, Nothing I did. I got into definitions this time around, y'all, so you're welcome. To keep. It says to maintain, to be kept in a, in a certain state, position, or activity. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Those who have been born again have an inheritance in heaven that is being kept. Is it secure? Yes. Is it safe? Yes. Can it be moved? No. 
Can it be taken? No, because it is a gift from God himself, which is good because it gives us some certainty in a rather uncertain time, in a rather uncertain world. So Jude has some uncomfortable information to share. And we all know that sometimes the truth can be an incredibly hard pill to swallow, especially when it challenges people's identity and who they believe that they are. And a big takeaway from this is that Jude shows us how to do it in an encouraging and loving way. He's saying, you are chosen, you are loved, you are kept and protected by God himself. He tells them to whom they belong, and then he tells them the truth that they need to hear. Loving someone and giving them truth in love is, I believe, the saying that people like to say, takes a lot of bravery. Because first and foremost, you have to put aside the fear that you're going to offend the person whom you love the most. But then you've got to say some things that you really wish you didn't have to say and that they really didn't have to hear from you, but someone's got to say it. And, there, and honestly, there's love in that. And saying, I'm just coming from a place of love. I care about you. You're my best friend. Do you think you're really making the best decisions for yourself? Sister, that phone of yours is giving you anxiety every time you're on your Instagram or your Facebook. Maybe it's time to put it away. Hey, I know you and your family have been going through a really, really hard time financially with everything. Maybe you don't need to spend $300 on getting your hair done just this once, right? It's uncomfortable to say, but man, I love you and I want what's best for you. And so I'm going to say something because if I keep quiet, that's not love. And that's exactly what Jude is going to do. So Jude 2 says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is a blessing. It is so reminiscing of the very first blessing that we hear in Genesis 1:28, where God says, go forth and multiply. Blessings are also known as benedictions, which I didn't know until I did this study. So benediction is the utterance or bestowing of a blessing, especially at the end of a religious service. So we see this in Genesis, 2 Samuel, and Ruth. A little bit more about my mother, the prayer warrior. Oh, Catherine, bless her heart. Um, you've heard the saying, stop, drop, and roll. My mother was stop, drop, and pray on your knees. I kid you not. You could be in the mall. You could be walking through a schoolyard and she bumps into a friend. You could be just trying to leave to go out for the night. Um, you could be having your cereal in the morning before you're late for school. If my mother, for whatever inclination, got the, a reason to pray, which she did all the time, she didn't care where she was. She would just turn around, get on her knees and pray to God. And at first, being a teenager, I was like, okay, like you do this at home, but you don't have to do it while we're out, while we're out right? But it was never about me. It was never about the person that she was praying for. It was about God. It was about her participating in an intimate act of worship. She might have been looking straight at whomever she was praying for, but every word that she had to say was going straight to God. So stop, drop, and pray on her knees. In Numbers 6, we, uh, Aaron petitions the Lord on behalf of Israel for the Lord to keep them. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So what this is, is it's a petition on, on the behalf of the audience to God that he may bless them. Just as my mom was praying on behalf of the individual to God that he may bless them, whether it was for protection or it was for safety or it was for financial reckoning or it was for healing in their marriage or healing after a surgery. She would go before the Lord's throne for whomever she loved and cared about. And that exactly what this is. In Ruth, Naomi blesses her grand, her grandchildren, her daughter-in-laws, right? She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that each of you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And it carries on into the New Testament in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the Lord of peace who brought you who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So towards the end, he goes ahead and he blesses them with mercy, peace, and love. Those are Jude's prayers. We've come accustomed to Paul writing about grace and peace, but Jude writes about mercy and peace. And so once again, I went to my dictionary. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinner and the bestowal of blessings. And mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Jude prays for the blessing of mercy because we are children of wrath and we have been reconciled through Jesus Christ because of God's mercy. Jude reminds us that we received mercy undeserving and so therefore we should give it. God will judge the ungodly. It is not for us to judge them, but we are called to show mercy. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I don't know about you all, but I am in need of mercy always. I don't leave a little bit of my schedule just for mercy. I need mercy poured over it fully. And then he also goes ahead and he prays for peace. So James 4, 4 says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Romans 8, 7 says, speaks of tension between us and God. So if peace is the seizing of war and we have been given peace with God through Jesus Christ, then it allows us to receive peace from God. Does that make sense? In order for us to be at peace, we have to be at peace with God. And through him, we receive peace in all things because we can just lay it at his feet. Easier said than done. I told my group tonight, I have to walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. If I'm going to lay something down at the, the feet of Jesus, I have to walk away and give it to him. And that's what that peace does. It's knowing that God is in control. It's not up to me. He is fully in control always. He ends his letter saying, love be multiplied. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That is the act of love, to die for someone that you love. So, sisters, 
there is this website called the State of Theology. Uh, so a, a survey was done. The latest one, I believe, was in 2018. And what it does is it takes the temperature of theology across the world. I'm going to share some of the latest responses with you. So the survey read. Some, so some of the questions were true. Some of them were false. And some could say, I don't know. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 38% of people agreed, and over 40% of people said that they did not know. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Only 32% of people agreed. Even the smallest sin deserves damnation. 54% of people disagree. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Only 33% agree. The Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. 29% agree. 25% disagree. The rest were unsure. What this tells me is that we are in a state of crisis. It means that the word of God has been so distorted that people don't even know what is true and what is not. There are false teachers out there, and there are also some false, false teachers. They think they're teachers, but they're not. <laughs> Facebook has turned us all into some kind of teacher or another. Share your opinion. Click an article you didn't read, but the title sounds good, right? But you don't know who you're hurting on the other side of that share or the other side of that click. You don't know what hate you're spreading when instead we should be spreading love. We live in a culture where spreading and speaking my truth is more important than speaking God's truth. We follow our hearts more than we follow Jesus. We tell each other, girl, wash your face instead of saying, girl, pick up your Bible. Sisters, the message that we are about to receive has never been more relevant than the longest year, 2020. We have been isolated. We have been told we're one thing. We've been told we're not worth another thing. We've been told that lines are drawn by politicians according to where you stand. We're forgetting that we have a book that has all the answers, a book that preaches mercy, a mercy that you received undeserving and therefore have to give it to someone else. Love that you received undeserving, that now guess what? That person that looks nothing like you, sounds nothing like you, walks nothing like you, talks nothing like you, they need that love too because God gave it to you and you have been called and given a mission to give that love to others. So if those statistics that I read you don't bother you or nag at you a little bit, we need to pray about that because we are going to be told to contend for the faith. We're going to be given clear instructions of what to do next, who to trust, who to stick alongside, how to fight. And I pray that you would all fight alongside me as we continue to contend for our faith. And I pray that you would stand firm in your understanding of the truth and do not let anybody distort that. It's uncomfortable to call someone out and say, that's not true. But guess what? You're loving them by saying, that's not, I love you, that's still not true. <laughs> You're wrong, but I love you anyway. We live in a world that does not believe that Jesus is God. 
what are you going to do about it? Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to spend together. Thank you so much for your word and the reminder that we are called, that we are loved, and that we are kept in you. God, I pray that the lessons and the conversations that we had this evening would ruminate and marinate with us as we go throughout the next week. God, I pray that as we continue to dig through your word, that our lives are changed, that we can be the lighthouse on a hill for you, God, that we may blaze the trail for others, God, that we may come to know you, God, that we may come to know others, God, as you know them. I pray for hearts that expand with never-ending love. I pray for grace, mercy, and peace for my sisters and their families. But most importantly, God, I just pray that you continue to show us your love and your grace. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.